Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining today's podcast. I'm Liz Burgard, Parent Involvement Coordinator. We know that having conversations and applying for college can be overwhelming, stressful, and often we, as parents, don't know where or when to start. Today, I'm joined by Colleen Neary, Career and College Specialist at Anoka High School, and Mainia Zhang Chan, Vice President of Enrollment Management at Hamlin University. In their roles, both support students and parents as they navigate the topic of college readiness. They're going to provide us with tips, information, and resources throughout our conversation. I'm super excited to hear and learn more from them about preparing for college. Let's jump right in. Thank you so much for joining us today, Colleen and Mainia. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Colleen, before we dive into the topic of college and college readiness and all that goes with it, can you tell the listeners about yourself and how you became the career and college specialist at Anoka High School? Absolutely. So this is my 27th year at Anoka High School, actually, and I started out as an English teacher, um, taught English for 14 years. And throughout that time, as I was working with especially juniors and seniors, just found myself having multiple conversations with students about what their plans were after high school. And those were some of like the best parts of my day, talking to kids about what their next step was. And so when I learned about the career and college specialist position, I thought that that might be a really good fit for me. And so I just kind of pursued that and made a career change and have been in this spot ever since. It sounds like a really great path to find the thing that you really want to do and that you're passionate about. It sometimes takes us a while to get there, but when we do, it feels like the right fit and the right place to be. Exactly. Mynia, as the Vice President of Enrollment Management at Hamlin, can you tell us about your journey to this role? I would be happy to. So I actually started out professionally after college as a financial aid counselor, and I packaged financial aid for students going to college for quite a few years before I shifted over to college admission. And so in my role as the Vice President of Enrollment at Hamlin, I oversee new student recruitment for new undergraduates, so first years in college, as well as transfer students, so students who have gone to college elsewhere would like to finish at Hamlin. I also oversee the Office of Scholarship and Financial Aid. And then I also do some work with student success and retention at Hamlin as well. I kind of came to it with the idea that as a first-generation college student, college was so hard to navigate. And so being on the administrator side has really allowed me the opportunity to try to undo some of the silos and build some of the connections that were missing when I was a student. And Hamlin proudly serves about a 46% first-generation student population in our first-year class. Wow. Yeah. And so it's really important to me to make sure that we're serving that population and that I'm giving back to my community in the same way. I think that's so interesting that from your experience that you can now use that when you're trying to help students to navigate college, financial aid, what does it mean? What does it look like? And really trying to support all students so that college is a possibility. So thank you for sharing that information with us. Colleen, parents and students might not know about the Career Center that can be found at each of our five traditional high schools in Anoka Hennepin. Can you tell us a little bit more about the role of the Career Center and how you support students and parents 
Certainly. Yes. So there is a career center at every Anoka Hennepin High School and service grades nine through 12 and parents and guardians in that as well. I will have to say that that looks different per grade level. Oftentimes for the ninth and 10th graders, I will often partner with their teachers in the classroom to create college and career readiness support systems for various classes. And then really with juniors and seniors, it's a lot more individual one-on-one appointment-based services that we're able to provide. So I'd say typically ninth and 10th graders might be a little leery, like they walk by the career center and they see a buzz and there are a lot of you know kids in there and things are happening. There's a lot of good energy, but they might not necessarily dip their toes in until junior or senior year. But I think the important thing is Anoka Hennepin is very fortunate to have this position because my job, and I always think I have the best job in the whole building, my job is to really just help students and to build relationships with those students. So the sooner I can do that, whether that's standing outside and having casual conversation, the better, you know, and that builds through time. So I might have a student who then brings a friend to me who says, okay, she can help you. Or Miss Neary, you really need to help this person. So I think that's what the career centers primarily can offer the students of Anoka Hennepin is we want to build a relationship with each and every student. And then from there, we can customize our advice and counsel to that student in particular. So as you'll find probably throughout this conversation, there are very few things you can say about college that applies to every single student. It's such an individual, personal pathway. And my job is, I think, to really honor that and respect that and listen to that and tease out for each student how I might be able to best support them in their dreams and in their ambitions. So I think that's the case at every career center. That's like the primary thing that we can offer. And then, you know, as Mania was saying, different students have different needs. So if I have a first generation student who walks into my office and tells me that, I know my assistance for that person might be different than somebody who has generations and generations of people in their family who have gone to college. That student, I might only need to help with one or two things. Whereas my first generation student, I need to kind of assure them, I can be your partner in this. You can come in here once a week and we'll just do a check-in and you don't even need to tell me what you need from me. I already know what that's going to look like and I can provide that for you. So it's really being a partner, a coach, a companion in the process and individualizing what we can offer each student to honor their specific pathway instead of lumping them in mass and you know saying everybody should be doing this because that's not always the case. So there's a lot of gray area and it really just depends on individual students' pathway. And I think the career centers can do a good job in providing that and being that listening ear. The points that you made are so important about the relationship. So maybe in ninth and 10th grade, you're just starting to get to know students, maybe in a whole class, but you're starting to pick up on the things that they tell you. And then when it's junior year, you get to know them and that relationship or that partnership along with it's an individual personal pathway. It's not just one size fits all for all of the students that will be graduating this year, but everyone's path looks different. So really supporting that student to find out what their next path would be. Yes. Yep. I'd agree completely with that. That is definitely the goal. That is just amazing to have staff like you at the schools that can really help guide and navigate students as we're trying to figure out the next chapter of our lives. 
we're going to switch gears a little bit, but the topic of college can seem very overwhelming at whatever age someone's at, whether you're talking about it with your child at age four, or as you guys have mentioned, maybe you're a first generation college student. And so that can seem overwhelming. What can parents do at home to help with this process? And when is the best time to start having this conversation, like age-wise, or what are some recommendations that either of you have for that? Well, I can certainly chime in here. I think it's really important that the college-going culture within the family starts very early. And, you know, even when you're at the jumping point, senior year in high school, and you think you're going to go to college, it's okay to dream and you should dream big. So when kids are four years old, three years old, it's awesome to already start talking about college because you really need to plant that seed early. As Hamlin revises its enrollment and recruitment strategy every single year, we start thinking to ourselves like, you know, we actually need to get to these students younger so that they know that whether they come to Hamlin or not, that college is a possibility for them. I have a really common saying that I always say, which is college is not for everyone. But if someone wants to go to college, there is one out there that is the perfect fit for them. And I think that's what students need to know is that not everyone's trajectory will lead them to a four year degree program. Not everyone gets an advanced degree, just like not everyone gets a vocational or trade degree. And so it's really important that students just know that it's an option, that they're worthy of it, and that this is really a path that we can start putting students on quite young. I would say right around middle school, it's important to start talking about high school and what kind of courses you are taking. I think many students feel like, well, when I get to high school, I'll figure it out. But it's actually great to be thinking ahead of time. If honors courses are in your future, what are AP classes? What does it mean to be an international baccalaureate student? Those are all characteristics that for good or for bad, selective colleges like to look for on transcripts. And if students are already thinking, hey, I would like to go to this big research university or I would like to go to this selective private college six states away. The building blocks for that really start that first year in high school, meeting with your high school advisor to ensure that if your goal is X college or Y college, that you're picking the courses and the curriculum that best matches your abilities and will make you competitive for those schools. And I would just add to that too, that at Anoka Hennepin, when we speak about college, we are talking about any education after high school that results in a credential, a licensure, or a degree. So the work really is done on what is the entry point and which college pathway is the best fit. I think that that's a great point of just really determining what is the next step and what is the best fit for you because there are so many choices, whether it be a vocational school or a community college or a public or technical or a private college kind of what all of those things mean and what is that thing that I want to do and where do I fit into what those things have to offer. As we know, college can be very expensive and just trying to navigate cost and what does it mean if I go to a private school, how much is that going to cost me versus doing a two-year degree? And I think having some of those conversations is really important. So can you guys give some tips around how to kind of navigate between the different types of colleges if a student was maybe interested in going to a vocational school or a four-year college, kind of what are the routes that somebody could take? I can speak to that. So I think a lot of it goes back to what it is that you actually want to do and then really focusing on that. Like, what are your gifts? How can you use your gifts to change the world? What is your pathway? And then really looking at, okay, so let's say I want to be an electrician. What is then the educational pathway required to get that licensure to be able to practice in that field? 
So sometimes I think we kind of reverse that and we look at the college first and skip the career piece. But I think actually that needs to come first, thinking about what do I want to do? And then what is the education required so that you have a sense of understanding of what that is and then doing the research down whatever that pathway is. For technical college, I also think it's important for students to think about the type of learners that they are. Sometimes for students, you know, taking a wide breadth of coursework can be kind of overwhelming. So they might do better with a very applied approach. Like I want to be an electrician. That's what I want to go and learn. I don't want to have to take more English. I don't want to have to take more math. And that can be completely understandable. For that type of person, they are going to learn by doing and they can apply that. And that's where I think a technical college can be a really good fit. And for students that really thrive in a classroom setting and enjoy learning and have an intense curiosity about all kinds of things, a liberal arts institution like Mynia is at is perfect because there are more courses that they even have time to take. But, you know, that's a great fit for them in that case, too. And then I think the community college is kind of right in the middle because there are career-specific courses that you can take at a community college, for example, like a physical therapy assistant at Anoka Ramsey. That's a great program. It's probably two plus years, maybe two and a half, but you can go in, take those courses and then get right into your career. Or you could choose to go to a community college and do what's called the Minnesota transfer curriculum get your generals kind of taken care of, and then transfer into a four-year institution at that point. So I think there needs to be some time spent on thinking about the individual student, how they learn best, and then what might be the best fit in terms of where they want to begin their college career. The point you made that really resonates with me is instead of choosing the college, what do I want to do? And then also thinking about, too, how do I learn best? instead of just saying, I'm going to go to the U of M because that sounds great. Well, why do you want to do that? So I think that those are two really great things to think about as parents are trying to help their kid talk through this process. Mania, can you give some tips on the best time to apply for colleges? Maybe how many students should apply for? And then for the admissions process, as you work at a university, do you have any tips or tricks on navigating that process as well? Sure, of course. Those are all excellent questions. So students who are planning to go to college, whether it's community college or a four-year college after high school is over, they usually will apply in the fall of their senior year of high school. There are a handful of programs in the country which allow early applicants to apply the summer before their senior year, but by and large, most colleges will have early action deadlines sometime in September, November, October-ish period. And that's really when seniors will apply. When you apply in your senior year, as you're supposed to, it will actually only capture the grades from freshman year through to your junior year. So that's something for students to keep in mind. Your senior year grades will be asked for later, particularly to demonstrate that you actually have a high school diploma. So usually at the end of your senior year and test scores. And so Many colleges, about 700 colleges in the United States now, are test optional, which means they are no longer or temporarily not requiring a standardized test score, either through the ACT or SAT. And so depending on the institutions the student is applying to, they may have wanted or should have taken their standardized test in their junior year. Not to say they cannot take it their senior year. They definitely can. But depending on how competitive the college is that they are applying to, applying early is always great. But colleges will not evaluate admission applications until they're complete. 
And so complete means the application itself, an essay if that's required, teacher and counselor recommendation letters if that's required, and the standardized test score if that's required. And I hate having all those caveats, but all colleges operate independently, and so they have their own basic requirements. One tip for parents is, and for students, is there usually is an institutional-specific admissions application. So you can, if you're interested in Hamlin, you can fill out the Hamlin application. But there's a couple of other applications out there that work as a global applications that many colleges participate in. So if you decide that you would like to fill out an application once and send it to a dozen schools, you can do that by using the Common App, the Common Application. There are fees associated with it, dictated by each of the schools the student hopes to send their common application to. But like I think that's, you know, 400 colleges in the United States will accept the common application or it might be common application exclusive, which means that a student can fill out the common application. They really like to promote it as you fill it out once. But because different schools sometimes request a little bit extra something different, the student may fill out the bulk of the application with their own information once but they might send an essay to school A via the Common App and not school B, which will require an extra step. Colleges who have their own institutional application as well as accept the Common Application, there is no competitive nature to that. In fact, it's in the covenant for the Common Application that if a college wants to be a Common Application partner, they cannot favor one application over the other. And I know some that's a very common question that we get from prospective students and families as well. Can my student do a common app? Not all colleges take the common app, but if they do, there's no preference for that app over their institutional application. Along those lines too, we also know that college can be very expensive. What are the benefits for going to college? And can you talk more about how people go about financing it? Because I know it can cost a lot of money and oftentimes parents don't always know or students don't always know how they're going to pay for college. And then what financial aid or scholarship opportunities are available? Absolutely. So I always tell families, particularly my first generation college students and their families, is that college is one of the greatest investments you will ever make in yourself. It has a huge return on investment, ROI, more than anything else that you may ever invest in, unless you bought Tesla stock, you know, two dozen years ago. (laughs) It has a huge investment in yourself and your undergraduate degree is truly the cornerstone for everything else that you will do, both educationally and even professionally. And so from the get go, it is a great investment. No, it is not free for 95 percent of the students in this country. Everyone will have to put something in and everyone's price point may be slightly different. That being said, I always tell students, dream big, do it, dream it. You know, I came from a super low income family. My parents were assembly line workers. I was a first generation college student. And I think that where I went wrong is I didn't dream that big because I really felt limited, right? Well, my parents don't have any money. I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid to borrow student loans. I will pick the path of least resistance. It is not to say that I did not have a great four-year experience, but I just always feel so badly for students who undercut their dreams by believing that the circumstances around them now makes that impossible. Now, at the end of the day, Every student who is a U.S. citizen or eligible non-citizen can use the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Depending on where you live geographically in the country, the FAFSA filing rates are very low. And in some of those geographies in the United States, it's in areas that you know have students who would qualify for aid. Every year, 
millions upon millions of federal Pell dollars go unclaimed because students are not filling out a FAFSA and they would otherwise qualify. In the Midwest, I think we have a little bit less intensity around students not filing, but we commonly hear families say, well, A, I'm not going to choose your institution because I cannot afford it, and I am not going to do a FAFSA because we will not get any aid. And those are two of the biggest misnomers. Private colleges in particular tend to be able to offer a lot of institutional aid. So it's dollars that the institution puts forward in addition to any federal or state scholarships and aid that you might receive and any scholarships that you get from your high school, from your parents' employer, it all stacks on top. So that's one of the first misnomers. The second one is, well, I'm not going to do a FAFSA for my student because we're middle income, we both work, we're not going to qualify. Doing the FAFSA takes about 20 minutes. Sometimes they're frustrating because I do a lot of financial aid nights, but it takes 20 minutes and it can result in $1,000, $2,000, $20,000 in aid for your student. It's also the only way your student can be made eligible for low interest federal student loans to be used in college or university or two-year college, wherever they should choose to go. Because there are finite cutoffs to qualify for federal Pell Grant, for instance, or Minnesota State Grant, families automatically think in their head that they don't qualify. But the FAFSA formula is unique for every family. It's not just the adjusted gross income. It's not automatically, if you have two parents working, no one gets any aid. It calculates, you know, how many people are in the household, how many other people go to college that your parents are supporting, what taxes do your parents pay. It takes into account some investments that your parents have. It takes into account the older age of the parent filing the FAFSA. Many of those calculations go into that formula so that the number it spits out at the end is not exactly what you thought. And that expected family contribution, that's the number the FAFSA gives you at the end, may not make you eligible for the federal cutoff for federal aid, or maybe not even for the state aid as a Minnesota resident, but it does make you eligible potentially for the need-based aid that the college itself is offering. And the only way you can get in the running for that is if you submit a FAFSA. At Hamlin, about 90% of our students receive some form of financial aid. And for a private university, I really like to share that because I think the understanding around private colleges is that it's a legacy school, only kids of alumni go there, or it's only for very wealthy families. That might be true at a, you know, a secondary level of private high school, perhaps, but certainly not true at the college level. We welcome students from all walks of life, and we are incredibly socioeconomically diverse. So it is not, there's this huge group of students that are very wealthy, and then three or four students who come in who need financial aid. Almost all of our students at Hamlet receive some form a financial aid or scholarship. Colleen, are there any specific scholarship tips that you have from a Noka-Hennepin school district perspective that you'd want to share as well? For sure. And first, I just would like to thank Mynia for that explanation because that was so thorough about financial aid. And, and you're right on all of those levels. And oftentimes for other scholarships, you also have to complete the FAFSA form first, like it's part of the scholarship application. So we want everybody to complete the FAFSA. I think another piece in that is in looking at the schools that you're applying to, being very strategic and being sure to include a Minnesota school on your list because your family might be eligible for state aid for the state grant. And you'll only know that if you apply to a Minnesota school. So I think that piece is important. 
As far as scholarships go, it's important to realize like where the majority of your money is going to be coming from. And typically those are going to be institutional dollars like Mynia referred to. And those will come about through your initial application to the college. So it's nothing new or extra that you have to complete. It's really just completing the application and then you will be awarded various merit monies and scholarship funds that way. So sometimes I think people start to look for scholarships before they apply to college and you want to be sure you get those applications in early because often that's kind of the first foray into what scholarship monies you can receive. So realizing that the majority of your scholarship money is going to come from the institutions that you're applying to should help kind of dictate your timeline so that you apply to your schools first and then start searching for additional scholarships after that. So the secondary source of scholarship money comes from local scholarships. You really want to think of what are the communities I belong to? What do I do? And are those communities offering scholarships? So that could be through athletics. It could be through clubs, organizations, 4-H, or if you're a Girl Scout or a Boy Scout, or through your religious community, or through your parent's employer, or if the student is working through their employer. So really looking at all of the different areas that the student has a connection to locally, and then trying to tap into those funds. And then I think national dollars are after that. You hear a lot about you know scholarships that, oh, I just had to give them my email and I was entered into a drawing. And that's a very easy scholarship to apply for, but I've never heard of any students who've ever actually received those dollars. I think keeping it local, institutional first, and then local, and all of the Anoka Hennepin High Schools have a scholarship list in Naviance that we try and actually share with them, scholarships that other students have received. And I would be saddened if I didn't also include the power of work. I think sometimes the best scholarship that you can give yourself is by having a job and working. You really control the amount of hours you're putting in and the money that you're taking out from that. So working during the summer, working during the school year, planning to work while you're in college is a great way to finance your education. And again, you're in control of how many hours you can put into that. And I have several alums who have been able to pay a really worthy chunk of their college education through the work that they're doing while they're in school. One of the points you had talked about that I'm hoping you can expand on is Naviance and kind of what that system is if parents maybe aren't familiar with that or even students. Sure. So it's a career and college readiness platform, essentially. And as kind of with anything in this discussion, it really depends on the individual student and how they want to use it. So there's a lot there. A lot of it can be very helpful. It's just going to appeal to certain students, perhaps more than some. But there is, you know, ACT prep that they can do in Naviance. We use it during our advisement so that students are able to do career assessments. They can learn about their learning style. So going back to, you know, when we were talking about how they might choose what they want to go into, thinking about themselves as a learner and how they learn best, there's an assessment they can take in Naviance that shows them their multiple intelligence and how they learn best. And then there are also, you know, career interest inventories where they can try and work to align their skills and their interests with potential career areas. And then in their senior year, typically it's kind of used to like send your transcript through Naviance. You can search for scholarships. So it becomes a little bit more mechanical in part of the college application process 
in just in terms of what you need to follow for procedure in order for your transcripts to be sent out and things like that. But it's structured for ninth and 11th graders to really use as kind of a developing tool, learning more about themselves, their strengths, their abilities, their learning style, what their interest areas are and how that falls within a career cluster. And then senior year, it's a little bit more technical just in terms of, okay, I want to send my transcript to Hamlin. How do I do that in Aviance? Thanks for giving an overview. I know there's a lot of ins and outs and who utilizes it. So thank you for sharing that. Are you interested in learning more about college preparation? Visit your high school website, find the Career Center webpage under the Support tab, and browse information on ACT testing, transcripts, college credits and admission processes, financial aid, and much more. Anoka Hennepin Schools also provides a career specialist at each of the five traditional high schools. Stop by your Career Center or schedule an appointment today. So before the break, we were talking about the technical pieces of college, whether it's financial aid, how to apply, the best times to apply. Now we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some questions that parents have had about really helping to support their child. And so as you guys know, academics and activities play a role into who schools accept into college. What advice do you have for parents who have students or a child who may not have the highest grades, may not be involved in an activity or work or have high test scores? What are some things that parents need to know and things they could do to help their child to get college ready? So I can speak to that. I have these conversations a lot. And I think one of the things is just to realize that everybody gets a fresh start as soon as they graduate from high school. There are a lot of colleges that are open enrollment colleges. So they will accept a student as long as they can prove that they have graduated from high school. And then the beautiful thing about that is when they do start at that institution, their GPA is 0.00 and the slate is wiped clean. It's a chance to start fresh. And so that's a great opportunity. And oftentimes people utilize community colleges for that purpose. Maybe, you know, some things happened during high school. There was some trauma or something that happened that kind of threw them off course. And they just need to recover from that, build some confidence in themselves, and then kind of move forward in their education. So anything that has an open enrollment you know, really allows for that opportunity to happen. And then I think it's also kind of a really good time for reflection on, well, what wasn't going well in high school? Let's have a conversation about that. What didn't work for you in your high school experience? And how can we maybe remedy that when we look forward at your next step in education? So perhaps that's maybe somebody who has not much of an interest in learning more than what they can apply. And then kind of, again, going back to the technical school learner, that kind of person might really thrive if everything they're learning, they then get to apply in a lab or, you know, they're really involved with, let's say, auto mechanics. They learn something and then they get to go to the car and try it out right away. And then they get to leave for the day and they don't have a ton of homework overwhelming them. So I think those would be the opportunities for starting points to build confidence and kind of wipe the slate clean. I get a chance to start over. And I think there are really worthy educational opportunities to pursue at that point too. But I think having that conversation about, okay, what wasn't working so well and how can we improve that moving forward is a really critical conversation to have. 
I would add on to that, and that's an excellent answer, Colleen, is that um, at Hamlin, which we are a selective institution, each year we do turn away applicants. And it pains me to do that because I want every student at my college. But we turn away applicants, and I know it feels different for the student, but from the college's perspective, we don't want you to use your dollars, whether they're financial aid dollars or your parents or your own hard-earned money, to pay for an education that isn't quite ready to support you. And so as a selective institution, we do not offer remedial coursework. And so we don't have like English 99 or Math 99, for instance. All students are expected to perform at the college level from their first year in college. And many students are prepared. But for those students who have had some stumbling blocks throughout high school, that's usually an indicator to us as the admissions committee that this student would be throwing away good money, right? Even if we admitted them, they would not thrive initially. What we do instead is we actually have a guaranteed admissions program where if that student was denied as a first year student, they can go to a community college, do some of their generals for a year, two years maybe, and they can come back and they'll be guaranteed admissions as well as guaranteed a set amount of scholarship. And in fact, we actually find that students who maybe didn't do so well in high school, they do a year or two at a community college, really thrive, and they actually come back with a higher GPA. So they actually qualify for higher scholarships than they would have as a high school senior because they're very competitive as a transfer student. So I think that that is actually one of the little known secrets for how to get students who maybe high school just wasn't the best time for them to still really have productive college careers that go on to fantastic professional outcomes. I would also add from a parent's perspective that many times I talk with families in my own community as a Hmong woman, also in many first generation families, but I think this crosses the gamut of demography, is that many students will say, well, my parents want me to go to college, but they would like me to become a lawyer or a doctor. And there are many, many more careers beyond a lawyer or a doctor. And many times that belief alone is enough to really make a student feel shaky about college in general, because they feel like it's that or nothing. And the reality is, you know, at liberal arts colleges in particular, there's over 50 areas of study at many of them. And just because you got a history degree does not mean you will become a historian. I got an English literature degree after swirling for two years at a public university, and now I work in higher education. And I think my English literature degree definitely helps me. It's helped me be a strong critical thinker. It's helped me with speaking. It's helped me in my writing. But by far, I did not believe as an English major, which I loved, so I'm glad I fell into it, would lead to a position at a university. And it has, and it's been wonderful. Thanks for sharing a little bit about that program that students can go to community college for a year or two and then be accepted to Hamlin. Because I think what I've seen from my experience is that a lot of times students do need that growth time to really figure out who they are. You graduate high school, right? And then you're like, my whole life since I was a baby pretty much has been planned for me. Now it's the first time I get to fly and be on my own. What does that mean? There's so many different things that people can do. And I think when you realize that college is a lot different than high school and that you get to make the choices as to what you want to do versus in high school, you're kind of told these are the classes, you're going to be here for these hours. I think it really gives students the opportunity, especially at the community college, to try some classes, see what fits, see what works, and then to transfer into a school such as Hamlin. I think that that is just a really cool opportunity that I don't think a lot of parents maybe know about. Colleen, can you tell us what do you see as the biggest challenge for seniors right now as they're preparing for college and what they can do to overcome said challenges? 
also knowing that this last year has been different than anything we've experienced as well? For sure. And I'll start with, I think there are different challenges, of course, that different seniors are facing, but I'll speak kind of generally here on this. But one of the things that I think is a challenge for many seniors is just wanting to make the decision as quickly as possible and being done with it. And really just kind of rushing with that and just like, I'm going to Hamlin and I'm not even going to look at anything else. And it's a sense of relief for them to be able to just know that, but they might be thinking like in September of senior year that they can make that decision. And the trouble with that is, of course, they don't have all of the information yet to make that decision confidently. So they kind of have to trust the process. And I think for parents too, to just be aware that it's a journey through the senior year. We can't just jump to the decision-making thing right out of the get-go. So we have to apply, you have to complete the FAFSA and see how things stack up financially, and then really compare the results and the packages to be able to make a confident decision. And that's why I think that that timeline is really important. It's not until May 1st that schools want you to make a decision for the most part. So really, you know, that's third trimester of senior year. So a lot has to happen in first trimester and second trimester. And I think one of the most important things we can be teaching kids through this process is how to make a confident decision. For many, this is the first big adult decision that they're making. And our jobs as educators and as parents is to instill belief in our children that they are capable of making a confident decision and then walking them through the process of how do you do that? What does that look like? And so if you're deciding in September and you don't even know what you're paying for your college costs at that point, that might not be the most secure decision to make at that time. So you have to wait. So I think taking that off their plate and just letting them know, okay, we need to be a little bit patient, but being patient can be difficult. That's a challenge for a lot of our kids. I think paralysis is also a challenge for a lot of our kids because they're just so overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. And so they just kind of stay in this space where they're not doing anything to move the conversation forward. And so realizing and shrinking things for them, like, again, we're not making a decision that's going to dictate the whole rest of your entire life. This is just a starting point. And again, we don't need to make this decision today. So what we can do today is maybe set up a virtual college visit or maybe have a conversation with a student who's currently in a school program that you're interested in, but shrinking it back so that like this week, what is the goal this week? What are we trying to accomplish? And then really kind of leading them to ultimately making a decision in the spring. But that paralysis, people can live there for a little while and then a whole lot of non-action takes place. And then that makes people concerned and feel rushed. And I think another challenge too, just generally speaking, is organizing the college process. And some of our kids are great at that and they're just naturals and they can figure it out and come up with a system that makes sense for them to follow. But there are a lot of deadlines. There are a lot of scholarship deadlines, admission deadlines. And so talking with your child and coming up with a system that works for them, it doesn't have to be overwhelming, but instilling again, confidence for them for how to organize to then Get them to the point to confidently make a decision in May. And one of the ways that we can do that and make them feel more secure in the process is showing them how to organize things so that they're 
empowered to take control of that part of the process. And I think that can be really helpful. And everybody's organization system is very different. Knowing your child well enough to kind of figure out with them, how will it make sense for us to approach this? And I think asking your child too, how can I best support you in this process? What do you need from me? And how can I be a partner to you? And then really letting your student drive. So maybe you're sitting down at the computer with them to look at a college application, but they're at the keyboard and they're the ones doing the typing and you're to the side. If you set up a college visit and you're on campus, first of all, have the child set up the visit. Again, you can be next to them. But then when you arrive on campus, opening the door for them to lead and walk in first and check in at the desk and kind of pushing them into that. I think these are all really small steps we can do early on to nudge them forward for them to realize, oh, this is my thing and you're my support system, but I need to lead. And instilling that confidence that they are capable of doing this starts pretty early on in the process. I love the point that you made about life skills. It's a lot of those things that students have to do during this process that are scary. Maybe you've never had to make a doctor appointment before or any kind of appointment for yourself. And so having to make a college visit can seem very overwhelming or daunting to a student. So I love what you had said about being there with your student, but letting them lead. And then also the organizational piece. For me, I was not always that organized with how to do things. So I think at least giving some options and kind of letting the student guide how they're going to organize the information and the why they need to. And then I think the two biggest things were breaking it down. We don't have to make a decision today about the eight colleges you're going to apply for, but let's start with the conversation. And so how can you break this thing that seems so overwhelming and so big down into little pieces and having that conversation along the way and walking alongside your student, which then in turn really builds that confidence, as you mentioned. We need these skills when we're adults. We need to be able to ask questions. We need to be able to understand systems and try to organize the things that we're working on. So I think that all of those points that you made are just really important life skills that we all utilize. Yes, and I would say that those skills carry on into college, right? With the independence that students have as college students, they need to be able to advocate for themselves, whether that's they're falling behind in a class, they need to sign a form for financial aid, they have questions about the materials that are needed for a lab. Generally, parents aren't there to do that. And so students are really expected to try to be able to do that on their own. And of course, we put supports in place. You know, colleges are by no means innocent and creating a lot of institutional confusion on our campuses. So even the most wise shows up and is like, I have no idea how to do any of this. That being said, when they have some of those building blocks already from as from being a high school student, from living in their parents or their guardians' homes, it goes a long way with helping them thrive in college. And I'll just add as a funny aside is that we get our handful of parents at Hamlin who will call us and say, I would like to make a visit appointment. Or when I applied last week for my son, we'll say, well, you know, we would like it to be your son or your daughter that calls, or do you mean your son's application or your daughter's application? It happens, but it is much better when the student acts as the driver and parents get to be the passenger. I think that goes nicely into the next question about what are some obstacles that you see for incoming freshmen and how do you do it or what do you suggest to make it a smooth transition going from high school into a college setting? That's a great question. So I think that imposter syndrome is probably 
50% of the issue that first year students face that whole first year is that I'm not good enough to be here. Everybody here knows everybody except for me. Everybody understands how this works except for me. And then they keep that inside. And it gets in the way of them thriving in the classroom. It gets in the way of them mixing with students that they haven't met before on campus. And all of that builds itself to spell potential disaster for that student. And so one of the biggest obstacles is for students to know that they belong here. They deserve to be here. And nobody knows anybody else freshman year. Like everybody is new. And that Everyone is feeling shy or nervous. Even the kid that you see in the campus mall who everyone is surrounding, that student started from somewhere too. And so really pushing students that, you know, you've pushed yourself this far. Don't let it fall apart because you're feeling too shy to speak to someone. You know, it's good to have your limits and your boundaries of how much socialization you can take. And college is a great place to start building those. But at the same time, get to know people, get to know your professors Yes, they might be titans in their own area of study, but they're also humans and they're there to help educate you and your success is their success. And so make sure to make yourself known. Not everybody needs to be ostentatious and sit in the front row and raise their hand. I am an introvert and I know that I've struggled at times, even as an adult, with making sure that my voice is heard. And I always think, gosh, if I would have started practicing this when I was 18, I'd be so much better off in my 40s. And so life tip as well as college obstacle tip. Also, please, please, please do not be afraid to ask for help. You are qualified and that is why you are at that institution. But it is okay to stumble. It's okay to stumble hard. It is not the end of the road. But if you let it fester and you do not seek out academic support or financial support or emotional support from your campus resources, it will get worse. It'll just get bigger and bigger. And so if your first month at college, you're taking chemistry and you were an advanced chemistry student in high school, and now you're taking college chemistry and man, that first test, you got a D minus or a C and you've never gotten anything but A's. Do not beat yourself up. There is lots of opportunity to grow and pull yourself from that. And the only way to do that really successfully is to use the resources that frankly you're paying for. So make sure you maximize that opportunity. I think one thing I'd just add real quickly to that too is I think for parents having a conversation with your child before they leave for college about what is it about their identity that they want to reestablish on this new campus and what do they want to leave behind? Mynia talked about being an introvert and being rather shy. That was the case for me too, leaving high school and then knowing, okay, I wanted to be a teacher and that, wow, I don't know many shy teachers, so that's something that I want to leave behind, and I don't want to necessarily have that be associated with me. So I think this is, it's kind of a golden period for students as they move into a new area where their history doesn't follow them. People don't have a certain perception of who they're going to be. So they're free of that, and they have this opportunity to really redefine themselves, recreate who they want to be. And that's a beautiful, exciting time in life that we only get maybe a couple of times. But to really talk about that as an opportunity and to give kids time to think about who is it that you want to be, you get to start fresh and recreate yourself, cling to the things about you that you love and that you value. But if there's something that you would like to leave behind and start fresh with, this is your chance to do that and embrace this moment. 
Wow, this has just been such great information about college readiness and preparing for college. Some major tenants that I think we heard echoing throughout our whole podcast today were dream and dream big. There are a lot of things that you can do. So really thinking about who you are and what you want to do in your life. And then I also liked the you belong here and ask for help. Adults and other students are there to help you. And I think that's the same for parents too. And then that each person is on an individual personal path. We're all on a different path in life. And what that path looks like is different for me than from the two of you. And then also if and when you decide to go to college, that it is a fresh start. You get to decide what things are important to you. And that when you get there, you get to be who you want to be and make the friends who you want to make friends with. But along the way, make sure to ask for help if you need it. I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. You both shared so much great information and make a significant impact on students and families each and every day, whether it's in the Anoka-Hennepin community or in the greater Twin Cities community. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and your expertise. Thank you, Liz. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360.